Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Matthew Walsh, Department Chair of General Surgery at Cleveland Clinic. He is here today to talk to us about surgery for pancreatic cancer. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Dale. It's a pleasure to be a guest. Yeah, maybe start off, uh, give us a little idea what your role is here at Cleveland Clinic. So I'm chair of the Department of General Surgery, which includes the surgical training programs. And there are quite a few sections within the department spanning the 10 hospitals in Northeast Ohio. There's over 110 staff in the department, and it's multidisciplinary focused. Um, So it includes the majority, obviously, surgeons, but also internists, psychologists to support our programs. Very good. We're going to talk about surgery for pancreatic cancer. So let's just start really general. Sure. Patients show up with pancreatic cancer to either see you or see us in medical oncology. How many of those patients can have surgery? Well, there are two basic forms of surgery. One is curative and one is palliative. Fortunately, what has changed with advanced imaging is that we don't do unnecessary or non-therapeutic surgery anymore. So it's rare that we don't uh, proceed if we think we're going to be doing a curative resection in patients with pancreatic cancer. So the staging uh, both in the abdomen of the pancreas itself and for metastatic diseases has a high fidelity to it. So what we're looking for in terms of surgery is to be able to achieve a 100% uh, resection in terms of a negative margin and get adequate lymph node uh, sampling. So that may be aided in some patients with neoadjuvant therapy now, as we have more powerful multi-drug regimens, as you know. But the goal is to include surgery as part of the definitive treatment for pancreatic cancer, even though, as you, I think, alluded to, the majority of patients, unfortunately, still today, when they're found, do not have curative disease. From a surgical standpoint, yeah, we think about big surgeries, um, Whipple procedures is kind of a always comes to mind when when we think about doing surgery for pancreatic cancer. How has surgery sort of progressed through the years? Well, we still love big surgery. You know, one of the challenges most people who go into this field of pancreatic surgery, which is what I do primarily, and I take care of both benign and malignant pancreatic disease, which there's quite a bit on both sides of that coin. But what has changed, interestingly, is the overall approach. Um, It is interesting, the son of one of the founders, so George Kreil was one of the principal founders of the clinic, Barney Kreil, his son wrote a fairly uh, provocative paper in the 1970s saying no one should get a Whipple because the survival was so poor and the surgical outcomes were so bad. That has all changed, fortunately, and we're much better at doing the operation and having low morbidity and mortality. And many things have contributed to that success in anesthesia for ICU care, originally critical care, even though most patients, the vast majority, don't go to the intensive care unit after Whipple now. 
And we have concentrated efforts on teams because things need to happen sometimes, whether it's an interventional procedure before or after the operation. And uh, we're very good now at looking at outcomes. Um, and we're part of a, a NISQIP consortium of over 100 hospitals that compares our outcomes and it drives imp quality improvement. And I'm actually very proud of where we fall on that spectrum as a, as a department in terms of pancreatic surgery. So what happens now is roughly our length of stay is five days actually in the hospital after a Whipple procedure, even open. So we pretty much try and span the perioperative care around advancing patients, getting them up, doing blocks on their abdominal wall if for open surgery. And one of the things I'm interested in is prehabilitation to get the patients in the best shape possible. And we actually have a randomized trial for that now. So we're trying to really approach the surgical experience in a way that patients are going to do well, get out of the hospital and recover. One of the things that that does mean to improve is the role of adjuvant therapy. As, as you know, um, adjuvant chemotherapy, depending on what you think of its effectiveness, it's not going to work at all if patients don't get it. So a large proportion over many decades never made it to chemotherapy afterwards. So that's one of the big goals. And it's one of the goals of doing minimally invasive surgery, which can be laparoscopy or robotic surgery. And I guess as the morbidity and mortality from the procedure has, has improved, has that increased the number of patients who can actually go to surgery and, and have a procedure even if... Yes, well, it, it has expanded the, the patients, I, I recall early in my career when I was a, a fellow in this field, I can tell you people didn't get a Whipple if they were over 70, and I've done people over 90. So the fact that it has become safer, and most hospitals, including our own, have a less than 1% more mortality rate, even though what's What's troubling still to most of us is the morbidity rate hasn't changed a whole lot over time, but we're just better at what we call surgical rescue, which is identifying a problem early and taking care of it um, so that patients don't succumb to, the, to a complication. But, you know, esophagectomy and Whipple procedure are probably the, the two highest morbid operations done. Um, and often those, as you know, are done for cancer. In many cases, there's a, a thought of decreasing what's taken out, if you, for lack of a better way to put it, the, and minimizing the, the surgery itself. Has that been a consideration? Um, seems like the procedure's been kind of stable for a long period of time. If we're talking about a Whipple procedure, then yes, that is the same operation, whether we do it laparoscopically, open, or robotically. The goal of minimally invasive surgery in that case is really to uh, minimize the wound complications, uh, allow patients to be up and mobile, and hopefully back to return of normal function, in particular for patients with pancreatic cancer, get them to adjuvant therapy sooner. So those are the goals of it in terms of the Whipple procedure. In a distal pancreatectomy, 
for the body entail, we are seeing more precancerous or early cancerous lesions, and the robotic procedures do allow us to preserve the spleen where that was never done before. So on occasion, we will add that component. And the fidelity of the robot helps us preserve the spleen in a way that we save both the splenic artery and splenic vein. So that, that is one of the things that has changed uh, with the minimally invasive procedure. And I guess um, just kind of help walk us through when we talk about minimally invasive, what that means compared to robotic surgeries. So uh, robotic surgery is the same as minimally invasive surgery. It still uses minimal access ports. So uh, small incisions, ports to access the abdomen. It's typically uh, five or six ports, depending on what you're doing. Patients really tolerate that a lot better. There is one bigger port where we have to extract the specimen, but pretty small. So laparoscopy and robotics fit into the same minimally invasive approach. And we do all of those approaches for pancreatic cancer, whether it's a Whipple procedure or a distal pancreatectomy. And the Whipple procedure robotically, we like it because of, again, the fidelity that the robot brings. So you can do things technically the same with a robot as you do open because the degree of flexion at the wrist is 270 degrees. So it can do more um, than I can do open, actually. So using what we call straight sticks with laparoscopy is really aided by the robot. And the optics are really excellent, too. They're 3D optics with magnification. So in auto-focus, it's really fantastic. It does take longer. And what we've noticed, so first off, you're taking a very complex operation, right? High morbidity, high stakes. And the pancreas, as you know, lies on a lot of major blood vessels. Bleeding is a potential serious complication. So it's sort of proliferated widely, but uh, not in any great volume. So honestly, even though quite a few hospitals tried it, it hasn't stuck at many places because actually uh, some of the complications were higher and the outcomes weren't great if you weren't well trained. So what initially happened was looking at the feasibility, the technical feasibility of doing the operation. And that has been shown uh, through many studies, including our own, that shows that it is feasible to do safely. But then the question is, what is the added benefit? And some of that isn't so clear. It didn't revolutionize surgery the way going from open cholecystectomy to minimally invasive or laparoscopic cholecystectomy has done. It's still critically important to do the best cancer operation. What that means certainly is to get negative margins. And the technique shouldn't be the driving force for, for that because the, the differences aren't that remarkable, to be honest. To, to justify it uh, just because. And, you know, occasionally, including last week, I saw a patient who had a robotic Whipple done elsewhere where they cut straight across the tumor. Well, that didn't help the patient at all. Um, so you shouldn't ever compromise the operation just to achieve a certain uh, technique. It is very much a team-based approach, I'll say. You have to have people 
uh, that are interested in helping each other in the operating room, having a very experienced nursing team who's used to doing these advanced procedures as well as the surgical team. And we do it as a team. We all, the HPB team, we operate together. Um, and so we can help each other, whether it's a robot case or an open case. And I guess uh, from a surgical uh, cancer outcome standpoint, from the ability to, to reach things, um, better optics and things, has that changed the resectability? And when you think about, you know, vessel involvement and things like that, can you do things with, with a robotic approach that you couldn't do otherwise and make something resectable that might not have been before? No, I wouldn't say that's true. You can do virtually everything you do robotically that you can do open with enough experience. We, like most places, do um, vein resections as needed, and we tend to do them open just because we feel that we get a better operation that way. But they certainly can be done robotically. I wouldn't say it extends uh, the capability of the surgery, but it at least is comparable and maybe better in terms of lymph node clearance just because of the optics that are involved with the robot, but not in terms of doing the operation differently. The operation is essentially, I tell patients, the operation is the same. And hopefully the morbidity is a little bit better. And in our experience, in the typical experience, you might be home a day earlier. You've mentioned experience and that sort of thing a couple of times. What kind of volume center, if someone's listening in and they like want to think about something on a, from a robotic standpoint, how many of these should someone have done to be considered competent? Yeah, great question. Competency certainly is, is different for individuals, right? Um, I think the most important thing in terms of robotics is you have to be uh, competent as a open surgeon to start, I guess one of the challenges in our field is that many of the HPB surgeons that do high quality open surgeon haven't actually trained as minimally invasive surgeons and aren't as comfortable, especially with these very advanced procedures. So you need people who are comfortable with both and you can't do it alone, although the robot does allow you to do uh, certain parts of the operation totally alone. Um, but it's best to have uh, colleagues who are, who are experienced and can assist you in these advanced procedures. There, there are some data that it uh, may take over 200 cases to be really proficient at a robotic Whipple. I wouldn't say necessarily that's true, but at least 30. Uh, and many hospitals tried them and only did less than 10. And that's part of the problem. So a solo surgeon who's an HBB surgeon out there, remember the access, patients don't necessarily want to travel, and so they'll often go to a, a local hospital. So although there are associations of volume related to outcome, it's not always surgeon, it's hospital related because it is a team approach on many levels. How have we utilized like the simulation center and things like that to help train as surgeons? So um, Intuitive, currently there's one major robotic company, uh, and that's from Intuitive Surgical. And they are actually proactive and, and want to see their product used well. So they participate in a lot of the training. 
And we do have um, training simulation with robotics at the Cleveland Clinic in our simulation center. And we're geared now mostly towards resident training and fellow training. And I guess um, just sort of back to the patients may show up and they're interested in a particular type of surgery. I know in prostate that happened a lot. People, they, they really wanted robotic surgeries. Yep. Does this happen in pancreas yeah, and who's that's appropriate? An, that's an interesting question. Um, it, it hasn't happened as much as I thought, to be honest. Uh, patients are first interested if you're able to do surgery. Everyone, every patient is well aware that pancreatic surgery is not you know, a favorable diagnosis to have. And they know that if you're able to have a successful surgery, that's the key. And most patients want to hear that. And then they want to know how you think the best way to achieve that is. Some people will come specifically for that procedure. And if they're a good candidate, meaning it depends on the size of the lesion, where it's located, what's its uh, association with the vessels if they've had radiation therapy before, things like that. So those are very technical considerations. And we consider all those. The majority of patients, we don't do robotically for that reason. But I think it's a, a great operation that we do include. And it's nice that we have the capability and I feel that we do it well. If we think about pancreatic surgery, what are the, uh, what are the gaps? What... Uh... Where, where do we need to get better? Well, it would be great if we could really diagnose the disease earlier. That's probably the single biggest thing. I think the morbidity profile in terms of being able to reduce the fistula rate from the pancreas, that's the, that is the Achilles heel of the operation. Actually, we're going to be participating in a uh, trial looking at a way to reduce that complication, although we're very favorable compared to other hospitals in that regard. But that is the single greatest thing that leads to uh, complications and morbidity is that leak. Unfortunately, that's often temporary and rarely requires reoperation. The other thing that we probably could do better as society is uh, people who are resectable don't necessarily need a lot of preoperative testing in terms of some people who present with jaundice, but it's at a low level, can go right to surgery. Not everyone needs a stent. And if we facilitated some of the uh, care paths that we uh, promote and have developed here at the clinic, I think that helps patients tremendously reduce costs and get them to the appropriate therapy earlier. Excellent. I guess in the last couple of minutes, um, kind of as you're in your role as overseeing general surgery, thinking about minimally invasive or robotic surgery, where's where's the next frontier? Where's where's the next uh, big area for progress? So I, I think we're well positioned. We we like to feel that if there's something happening in surgery, it's happening here as well. Um, one of those is in the minimally invasive realm in terms of living liver transplant donation. And we do that minimally invasively with uh, laparoscopy and we're starting a robotics program in that. And actually we are the biggest program in that in the country. And that really has expanded the uh, donor pool for living related liver transplant and the outcomes have been fantastic. So that's a real revolutionary approach that is new. 
And we do very innovative uh, gut rehab, surgery, and intestinal transplant, as well as robotic, speaking of robotics, uh, around the whole area of hernia care uh, that we're on the cutting edge of. So there's a lot of things in surgery that are, are both novel techniques open as well as minimally invasively. Very good. Well, you've uh, given us some great insight today. Thanks for being with us. It's been a pleasure, Dale. Thanks. To make a direct online referral to our Toxic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.